Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. This is a special 250 followers celebration. I put out a poll on Twitter some time back asking what what you like, and the majority of the votes went to listen to a Frank Turek clip. I don't know if that's because you guys love me or because you guys hate me. Anyway... So I've decided to respond to a Frank Turek clip, and there was one I found which doesn't go for too long and answers a couple of talking points. That's from the Cross-Examined YouTube channel, and it's titled, If There Is A Good God, Why Does He Allow Suffering and Evil? I'll hit play, and we'll see what Dr. Frank has to say. Yes, ma'am. What's your name? Hello, my name's Ayo. Say um, again. Ayo. Ayo. Nice to meet you. Um, it's a question about suffering. Um, mm-hmm. How do you answer a question if someone asks you if there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Excellent question. Um, I had uh, a question like that at the university or at um, Michigan State University. In fact, um, I knew before the before we ever got to the Q&A that there was an atheist in the audience um, because he sat for the entire two-hour presentation like this. And I had some pretty good jokes in there. And he didn't crack a smile once. So I knew that when the Q&A came up that there, were going to be, there was going to be some trouble. So I said, are there any questions? And his hand shot up right away. I said, yes, sir. He said, if there is a good God, why doesn't he stop all the evil in the world? So at that, I, I do wonder how truthfully apologists are when they say that they had a certain audience member, or maybe how truthful, but, or maybe the point is how exaggerated um, you know, the stories they give are when they say, oh, I had a certain atheist, he was, you know, he looked like this, he had his arms folded and he was, he was grumpy and he was... He was angry and, you know, he was ready to tear me apart and I, I placated him with with the truth. All I can really say is, well, from my experience anyway, is that I've, I've attended one or two you know, apologetic seminars and, you know, I, I didn't sit there, you know, arms folded, cross look at my face, you know, took notes. I was sitting there thinking about things. Um, yeah, so I just wonder how much uh, Dr. Turek is exaggerating for comedic effect. I said, sir, that is an excellent question. Maybe because if he did, he might start with you (laughs) and me, because we do evil every day. You ever notice that? We're always complaining about somebody else doing evil. Why don't you stop him? Why don't you stop her? We never think of ourselves. If God wanted to stop all the evil in the world, he might start with us. Well, it's not so much that God has to start with us. 
It's just that we never see a pattern of God starting anywhere. Humankind has been around for, you know, let's say at least, you know, 5,000 years. We've never once objectively observed a deity actually stopping anyone from doing evil. The only times that we see a deity stopping someone from doing evil or even even or even assisting someone in doing evil is in religious texts, never in history. Sorry, scratch that. Sometimes we see it in history, but we know from historical inquiry that they're embellishing a story to make their God look good. And if Dr. Frank, being as deeply Christian and as deeply fundamental and you know having the Holy Spirit and all, all, all that stuff, if he's still doing evil, then how powerful, how, how much influence does his God have on his life that he's given his life to the cause, and yet he's still, you know, to, to paraphrase, a, a crummy person. Is yes, Doctor Turek is, you know, well presented and eloquent, and you know he speaks well. But if the difference, you know, pre Christ and after Christ is, you know, he's written a book and he's you know, done pretty well for himself, then, you know, morality isn't, morality isn't the thing. Morality isn't God's selling point. And then I said, sir, we could talk about that for semesters in here. We don't have that time. I'd rather show you a one minute and 46 second video that will not be a complete answer, but will give you a doorway to an answer. So I'm going to show you the video now, the video I showed him, and then we'll, we'll go from there. You guys ready? Okay, let's make sure I got the right video here. Are you ready? You got to pay attention. There's a lot going on in a minute 46. Here we go. This is videoception. This is a video within a video or a response video within a response video to a response. This video is based on material from the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Now, I don't know any rational any any rational skeptic who was converted by that book. The book seemed to be more for Christians to prop up their faith rather than as a rational, logically justified, evidentially justified treatise as to why rational skepticism should lead to Christ. Uh, I started responding to the book on my on my blog, tallfriendlyatheistdad.com, and I found by I think chapter three or four that the the book relies on misrepresentation of science, misrepre- misrepresentation of the history of science. Um, you know I. I don't want to say it's slanderous against Albert Einstein, but, you know, Turek and Geisler do make a, you know, very, I wouldn't say mean-spirited, but very childish uh, 
childish remark against Albert Einstein, and it's like, well, yeah. There are also a few other things as well that I didn't like about the about the book, so I stopped responding to it. This video, this video that is about to show the lady who's asked the who's asked the question. Um, I don't have high hopes for it, but let's see where it goes. Is God good? If he is, why is there suffering and evil? Let's assume for the moment that God is all-powerful. This means that God can do anything that is logically possible. I think we do have to make a distinction between suffering and evil. Evil is when someone chooses to harm or inflict pain and to inflict pain on someone else. So for example, if I, you know, slash someone's tires or if I, you know, burnt their car or, you know, if I physically assaulted them. And without justification or provocation, then yeah, that would be evil. Whereas, you know, breaking a leg, um, you know, getting skin cancer or something else, that would be suffering. You know, things that happen that cause pain but aren't the result of someone's will. So he can create galaxies and subatomic particles and rainforests and you. For God to be as powerful as what the fundamentalist Christians say he is, he has to satisfy the omnipotent part of the three omnis equation. Otherwise, you have a God that, you know, is powerful enough, but there could possibly be another deity that is strong, or another force that is stronger than, than Yahweh. And, yeah, Christians are very hesitant to admit even the logical possibility of, you know, anything stronger than their God, you know, this is this is where, why I say God is the God of superlatives. He's the strongest. He's the fastest. He's the nicest. He's the you know all that kind of stuff. And just in that last part where it said God created you, uh, no, God didn't create me. The fact of the matter is that I actually created myself, though not willingly. Uh, my parents, you know, had sex. Uh, the sex cells came together and they multiplied and they multiplied and they multiplied. There was no fabrication involved. There was no intent except in the act of, you know, procreating. But as we know, you know, having sex is a guarantee of, of a baby. And yeah, so, you know, I literally just happened to come to be. Through, through no one's will. So when it says God is powerful enough to create me, not really, because you know the only person that created me was was me, and I didn't have a say in the matter. But God cannot do what is logically impossible. He cannot make a square circle or a one-ended stick. So can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? No. I've heard this 
uh, challenge as a uh, I've heard this question as as a challenge to the the three omnis uh, well, you know the omnipot- omnipotent god argument and you know I I'd like to I'd like to see a god try to make a rock that he can't he can't uh, move it would then because well, the problem with that is that that becomes mathematically impossible because let's say you have a rock that takes x a rock of x size that takes n amount of strength to take or so, so a rock of x size that takes n amount of power to lift so let's say god is x plus 1 so let's say god is n plus 1 powerful enough to lift the rock so then god makes a rock that is you know x plus 2 size and requires m plus 2 strength to lift that will then make god x plus 3 size and x plus n plus 3 power to lift the rock and so then god as a challenge becomes x plus 4 size and m plus 4 strength and then makes a rock x plus 5 size m plus 6 weight and so this mathematical back and forth keeps keeps going on to the point that either God becomes infinitely big or and or the rock becomes infinitely big. And so that's, that's how you answer that one. Mathematical induction. No. So what if when God created human beings, he wanted them to be free? Freedom's a good thing. But if humans are to be free, they cannot be forced to obey God. One of the responses I hear to the free will argument is that, well, God, oh, sorry. God created heaven, and in heaven there is perfect peace and there is no suffering, um, and people still have free will. So if God can, if God can create a place where free will is not abrogated, but there is no suffering. Why couldn't he do that here? And also, as as we saw, uh, not all suffering is the result of evil. So the, the Christian defense in saying that, well, hold on, you have evil and suffering because of, of free will. It doesn't doesn't quite stack up. Because freedom without choice. It's like a square circle. It's a logical contradiction. No choice, no freedom. God didn't want robots. He wanted real people. The first humans endowed with the awesome power of free choice abused their freedom. There's... I don't think there are any verses in the Bible that say that God gave us perfect free will or that blame... Or that blame the problem of evil on necessarily having free will. Um, Some years ago, I made a video that likened the Garden of Eden incident to a puppy taking a dump in the corner. So let's say there's a puppy in a room, there's a bowl of food in in the room... 
and you leave the pu- you leave the puppy in the room with the food. And then you get angry at the puppy for taking a dump in the corner when it couldn't have taken a dump in the corner without eating the food that you left for it in the first place. And what I'm trying to get at with that is Adam and Eve didn't know it was evil to disobey to dis- to disobey the command. They were for all intents and purposes, you know, led into that by the by the serpent. So they had no knowledge they had no knowledge of good and evil. So to say that Adam and Eve were evil because of the Garden of Eden or because they chose to eat the apple in, in the garden. Well no, how how would they know it was evil until they ate the apple that gave them the knowledge of evil to choose the evil? I think at best you could say it was an accident. But then that means God is powerless to stop the to stop the serpent from, you know I don't wanna, I don't want to say deceiving because in reality it was the serpent that told the truth. Because God said, you know, when you eat of the when you eat of the fruit you will surely in that die in that day you will die. And the serpent said, You'll surely not die. And Adam lived for, you know, a good 800 years after that incident. And then apologists will say, oh, they meant spiritually die. But that's not in the text. You know, God said you will die in that day. He didn't say you will be separated from me or, you know, like a spiritual death. He said you you will die. And if you want to play the spiritual death card, then... After Adam and Eve ate the apple, there was no separation uh, between man and God, because bef- before and after they ate the apple, God was still walking the garden. There was no, there was no, you know, there was no chasm for God to cross. You know, the only difference was that Adam and Eve became aware they were naked, and so they tried to hide from God. But that's not the same as being separated from God. So you can't say that they spiritually died. Or you can't say that God said they're going to spiritually die because what is spiritual death? It's to do with, it's to do with physical death. So when God said, you were sh- in, that di- in that day you will surely die, God didn't tell the truth. Who would have thought? The tragic consequences of their bad choice and our bad choices ripple across the world. God is responsible for the fact of freedom. God is responsible for the fact of freedom? No, that's our neurology. That is... That is a bad apologetic. But humans are responsible for their acts of freedom. Humans are responsible for their acts of freedom. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. But we do notice that most suffering, well, most evil comes about because of bad choices, whereas most suf- whereas suffering can be either through bad choices or through, you know, accidents. But let's remember, we don't suffer alone. 
God will put an end to suffering and evil. God will put a suffer end to suffering and evil. Um, that sounds a bit like. Um, I'm just with that. I'm reminded of uh of one particular argument I heard that um, like God will recompense everyone for their suffering, uh, in in heaven, assuming they get to heaven. But that makes God sound like a, a scumbag mate who borrows. He keeps on borrowing money, and then says, "Yeah, when I get paid, I'll uh, you know, I'll repay you back when I get paid." And God never gets paid, and so he has to keep on borrowing money until this magical day. Until this magical day, God will get paid. He'll he'll give you back the money he's borrowed from you. But it's been a, it's been a few thousand years, and that time still hasn't come. And God became a man to suffer with us. God is good. God came to earth as a man, and God is good. Well, I, I take they're talking about Jesus. I think there is a genuine a, a genuine question over whether Jesus um, existed. Well, the, the, my 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 position on Jesus is that there was no Son of God. You know, Son of God, demigod walking around Israel because there is no God. There, there is no God for someone to be the son of. And I'm comfortable with the possibility that there was a mundane man who walked around, you know, Galilee and Palestine and Israel, whatever, whatever you call it, um, you know, with 12 blokes. But I am also comfortable with the possibility that there wasn't a man and a legend was formed up. Um, how can I say uh, an evolution in Jewish thought? Will be the the way the way I put it. But then, like God is good. It depends on what standard you're using to measure to measure that good. If your standard of goodness is well, God is good. You know, therefore, there is no possible way God could be evil then you're basically in a cult. If God is good because we have, let's say, agnostically judged him to be good, then we don't need God to know what goodness is. Or if the nature of God is good, as per you know, a couple of famous apologists, then... That means morality and goodness are external to God. For Him to tell us what that external, the external informed morality is. So either God is good because, by definition, God is good. God is good because God gets information about what goodness is external to Him. Or goodness is just a property that we all know, and we don't need God to tell us what it is. And he wants real people like you to know him, but the free choice is yours. The free choice is mine. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. I, I would tend to agree with that. You know, it is my choice to believe if God exists or not. 
the problem, though, is is that God hasn't been objectively observed to exist. The best case for God's existence is is circumstantial, but that is you know, when it comes to the most important decision that we'll make in our lifetimes, or you know, our our in our eternal life. If the case has to rest on a circumstantial argument, then you know the the case for the most powerful intelligence in the in the world isn't so cut and dried. Now, now, now that answer only opens the door, right? It just talks about free will. Because in order to have love, you got to have free will. But free will often also opens up the problem for evil. Now, I made a mistake in answering your question. Here's the mistake I made. Um, normally, well, there's really two answers to this question. Well, there's a lot of answers, but there's two categories of answers. The question I should have asked you back is, why do you ask the question? Right? Because if you're asking the question from an academic perspective, if God, why evil, this is how you answer it. But if you're asking the question from... You've just experienced a personal tragedy. This is not how to answer it. If someone experienced a personal tragedy, I think giving them a religiously motivated answer is maybe not the way. Maybe not the way to do it. Because like saying that, oh, God will make things better. God will comfort you. God will be with you. They are platitudes. You know, I'd rather, you know, I'll maybe not be a little bit harsh, but you maybe reserve my words and say something I'm comfortable saying. And I, I did have to do this with my with my auntie who passed away, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, where, you know, I was very tempted to pray for her and I was tempted to say, you know, I'll see you on the other side. And I was tempted to, you know, give her platitudes, but you know, I didn't. I just said I love you and you you've been good to me. Yeah, but even then, like, you know, the philosophical argument of, of, you know why God allows evil, you know, unfortunately presupposes that God exists. And we haven't proven that God exists. So this is all just philosophical, you know, um, assuming the conclusion, assuming the premise, is probably the best way of putting it. You know, you go well. Hold on, we'll, we're we're going to assume God exists, and then under under this framework of theology that we make for ourselves. But then the the problem is, is that you know, th- there's lots that theology can't answer. Theology can't answer why I get skin cancer. You know, well, actually, I do, I, I do hear. You know, bad arguments such as, well, you know, the the fall caused Noah's flood. Noah's flood caused the canopy that was over the earth to to disintegrate. Uh, that canopy was blocking out the UV rays. Uh, now all these UV rays get in. Because these UV rays get in, you know, you get skin cancer. Or, you know, why do people suffer hallucinations, especially when they're sleep deprived? Oh, that's because of the fall. You know, like people say the fall did it, but there's really no explanation of how the fall did it, except that anything that's bad gets blamed on the fall, and anything that's good gets blamed on 
on God's mercy and grace. Well, you know, you got to you got to prove your premise before you can get us to get us to accept the conclusion. Right. You don't need a philosopher. You need a pastor. You don't need a philosopher. You need a pastor. Uh, yeah. How about no? I, I've seen the. I've seen the amount of uh, embezzlement and abuse and manipulation that pastors do, and I might lean towards the philosopher. Thank you. So I actually just made a mistake answering that question. I always, because, I, you know, you think, I got a good slide for this. No. Wrong answer, right? Now, hopefully, you're not going through a personal tragedy, so I just didn't insult you. No, <laughs> it's fine. Okay, good. Uh, but no, because there's a pastoral answer and a philosophical okay. answer. Yeah, there is, there is. But what you should be aiming for is the best and most justified representation of reality. Like, sure, you can give an answer that makes you feel good, but you, you want one that is able to answer questions being logically justified with the best data at hand. And for that, I will lean towards the philosopher, though. Yeah, I'll lean towards the philosopher because, you know, the philosopher actually has to, you know, study and put in the put in the years of effort to write their theses or theses and theses, thesi, whatever the word is. You know, they have to go through a process of academic rigor. A pastor. A pastor can actually just call himself a pastor, start his own church, and by the authority of that title, you know, he, he gets, you know, endowed with the wisdom, you know, the wisdom and the, you know, the the authority of, you know, and this is why I'd rather go towards a philosopher, because one, philosophers do take into account other points of view, and two, philosophers actually go through rigorous academic training to get to, to get to where they are and three it may actually and three philosophers do realize when they're wrong i don't know how many pastors we can say that for but anyway um that's been my 250 followers celebration special Thank you for sticking through on the journey with me on Twitter and you know Facebook and whatever other uh, you know, platform you, you find this on. Um, I, I do enjoy you know writing and coming up with uh, new way, coming up with uh, ways to put arguments and to get my thoughts out, and which will hopefully help you in the way you think about things. Uh, yeah, so if you like what I do, please share it on your social media. Tell your friends about it. Um, if you want to be a guest, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at uh, TFADpod. Uh, feel free to email me, uh, quiterationaldad at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, the best way to support what I do is to head to the iTunes bookstore or Google Play and you know, purchase the best religion for the task at hand. Uh, it's a book that I wrote that... Uh, counters fundamental creationism 
uh, speaks about morality from a, hum- a humanist perspective, uh, the, sh- the shortcomings of uh, biblical morality. And yeah, it is self-published, so it's not, you know, fancy schmancy, but, you know, I put a lot of time into it and hopefully it uh, helps you think think about things. Anyway, um, I'll see you online in my email. But yeah, as always, be kind to each other, look after yourselves, uh, keep being rational, and be friendly. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tall, Friendly, Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.